more than one occasion while I was gone, because I was gone for such an extended period of time, I had, is it fair for me? I don't, I don't think I said it in any way that was proud, but I was certainly pleased. You tell me the right word you want me to use so it doesn't sound arrogant. I was thankful. Let's just go there. That while I was gone for five weeks, we filled the pulpit from right here five weeks straight with five different men. Do you understand, people, how unusual that is? Do you understand how incredible that is? That is truly significant that that happened. Beginning of the summer, I had Bob Gensel. He's a consultant who helped us build the building project that created this. He wanted to come by and see what we had since built. He walked into the room where the youth are, and the first thing he said, he turned around and he said to me, do you know how unusual it is for a church this size and a town this size to have a room like this for their youth? That was his response. Even more unusual is for the pastor to be gone for five weeks and five different men to step up and fill the pulpit. You know, friends, I'm not, I'm not proud of them just because they were willing to do it. They took the risk, you know. They tell us that uh, speaking in front of a group of people is one of the main fears that people have. It's not just about their risk-taking, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that each of them have enough knowledge of God's kingdom work to qualify them to stand here and speak, and I'm excited about that. But I think what I find most impressive, that I would echo what Bob Gensel says about a room. You know how unusual this is? Do you know how unusual it is that in a church our size, in a town our size, there'd be five men with enough fire in their belly they want to get up and say something to God's people and speak the message they believe God would have them to speak? When I was in Lake Bronson serving Lake Bronson and Lancaster, when I would go for one week, I couldn't find one guy in two churches who would serve for one week. Been gone for five and found five different guys here. I am so very proud of them, so thankful for what God, how God is using our people and what he has called us to. But also, you're aware that this past week, there was this whole debate that finally got underway, and now we're into the political season, and we all, you know, everybody got up, and they had two tiers of candidates, and whatever you are reading or ignoring about it, it happened this week. And among the Republicans now, they are off and running, and is it 17 candidates are now going to start winnowing down till sometime in 11 months, they're going to have one person that they say is going to run for their place. Well, I got all caught up in that. It's like, oh, this is cool. And after debates, everybody wants to know who won. Who? So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm caught up in this energy of this thing. And I said, hey, we had five guys preaching. It's like those guys on the platform among the Republicans. I thought, I wonder who won. So I polled 100 people in our church. And I sent the question out to 100 people. And I said, okay, this year, among everybody you've heard in our pulpit, who is your favorite? And it was amazing the way it shook out. I looked at this. I went, okay, 20%. Dan got a 20% favorable rating because of, not, of his knowledge. They're like, this guy knows so much stuff. And Rob, he got a 20% favorable rating because he was entertaining and relatable. Josh got a 20% favorable rating because he's young. He's the future. This is where the church is going. Mike got a 20% uh, favorable rating because of his experience in the pulpit. In fact, he's in 
in, at resurrection today, preaching elsewhere yet again. And God is using him in a significant way in the pulpit. So based on his experience, and Miles got a 20% favorable rating because of his leadership of our church so faithfully all these years. And I thought, isn't that incredible? Look at how good they did. And then I looked, I went, wait a second. Nobody picked me for anything. That's 100%. And I felt like the pastor who it, it was put into the bulletin said, during the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when J.F. Stubbs supplied our pulpit. I mean, that's what, it, that's what I felt like. It's like, wow, okay. But they did a great job, and I was proud of them. And uh, you stuck with me again. So we're back to 0% on the favorables. But uh, till one of you speaks up and says, get rid of this guy, which I wouldn't blame you if you did, well, I'll keep going, okay? We have been, uh, we actually, what I want to do is I want to pick up where we've been for the last year. It was literally a year ago at this time when this pulpit came in, started a series. And we were at that place in this series about man from creation to redemption. And if you'll allow me to refresh you very briefly, you'll recall that we saw man's created in God's image, but that seeking to get more, he got far less when he walked in rebellion to God and decided to try and be like God, to be God, rather than to simply be made in God's image. Everything has fallen apart since then. And one of the things we were stressing just before we left, in fact, I spent four weeks on this topic of something called regeneration. Because man has fallen and he is now broken, he needs God to restore him back into his image. And in this redemptive work that God is doing, he is regenerating us, he is renewing us to make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, yet once again. While going through those texts on that, and I spent four weeks on it. And so some of you maybe thought, can we get off of this one? No, I did it intentionally. It was by design. Four weeks on regeneration to drive home the point that Jesus said, you must be born again. And without regeneration, we do not have new life. Without regeneration, we do not have the promise of the hope of eternity. And so we hit that very, uh, very uh, heavily. That one aspect of God's redemptive work in this world is he regenerates people. He makes us again to be like Christ, and that's the process that we are in. So while going through all of that, there was one particular passage that caused me to look at other passages, and, and, and there was a simple thought that crossed my mind, and I am had every intention to share it with you today, and I'm delighted to do so. And that is simply, as I stepped back from all of this study about, about redemption, specifically about regeneration, and you, if you were with us, you'll recall my saying it's kind of like a taffy pulling machine where everything just keeps rolling in on itself and all of these thoughts are put into this mix and they keep recirculating in these scriptures. There's no place where all of this is simply lined out here, 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 here by a list of definitions, but they keep folding in on one another it hit me how many different places we are simply given words of redemption. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. In all of this stuff we've been looking at, for a, had, had been looking at the beginning of the summer for a number of weeks, I want to step back and in a very general way just look at words of redemption and look at what we have been studying. 
So with your permission, I'll ask you to turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. This is the passage that just woke me up to this when I looked at the passage and said, my, look at everything that is in here. Titus chapter 3. I want to pick it up in verse 4. And we're going to look at a number of passages, and I will try and keep it moving. I want you to see by the weight of what we're doing how much stuff is here. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, who he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Just in that first passage, notice the words of redemption that are set forth for us. First of all, there is kindness. When the kindness and there is love and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration. Washing is an act of service. Had a chance while we were on the field to, uh, we had a couple of times as a team to be in the home of, of Eric and Christy, uh, missionaries we support in Vienna with Greater Europe Missions. And they got little Elena, that's their, their youngest daughter. And I don't know, Elena, maybe six or seven. And for whatever it was that day, it rained early on when we were there. For whatever it was that day, uh, I wound up getting to their house where my feet were dirty. And uh, wearing flip-flops because it's the summer, my feet were dirty. And uh, so I said, do you mind if I just kind of rinse my feet off? Well, it turns out that Elena and her mom wash their feet together when their feet are dirty. Elena's like, well, I'll help you wash your feet. And so before I know, a little Elena and I were sitting on the edge of the tub and we're washing our feet in this little bit of water. And she's very sincerely wanting to make sure I know how to wash my feet. And so she's telling me everything that she and her mom do. But it was an act of service. And God, through Jesus Christ, did he not take on the form of a servant in order that we might be regenerated, in order that we might have eternal life. We have the renewal of the Holy Spirit, this regenerating work poured out on us abundantly. Abundantly, God is doing his work in us through his Holy Spirit. It's not a little bit here and a little bit there. And, and, the, and then if we're real good and, and we deserve, we'll get a little bit more. This was in abundance that he is pouring out this renewing work of his Holy Spirit. These are the words of redemption. He justified us. That same text says, justified us. He declared us righteous in his son. And how did he do this? By his grace, the unmerited favor that we deserve nothing of what he is doing, but he did it simply because he is gracious and his love and his kindness are at work. And by this, we should become heirs. He has offered us the promise of something that is before us, that we have an eternal inheritance waiting for us in the heavenlies, Ephesians will say, and we are the heirs of the hope of eternal life. Hope. He's giving us something to look forward to. We could look around ourselves, see the world as it is today, get very discouraged and think if this is all there is, I haven't got a whole lot of hope, but in Jesus Christ, I've got hope. And I know there's something better that awaits me, and it's the hope of eternal life. 
And Jesus himself defined eternal life as that we might know the Father. And so we have this hope. We look forward to this promise, to this inheritance that is ours, when we are one day going to be in the presence of God, in perfect relationship with him, and we are going to know him in a way we have never known him before. Magnificent stuff. That's one passage. So then I said, well, I, I remember something about John. So I went over to John 10, John 10 chapter, or verse 10. And in John 10, Jesus is having this discussion about who he is and the reality of his being. And in John 10, 10, we read this. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And once again, the promise of life that is ours, life to be had in abundance. Second time, I wanted us to see that word abundantly. Verse 27, if we drop down to John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Are you hearing these words of redemption, friends? Are we listening that we may have life, have it more abundantly? And Jesus said, and I know my sheep. I know them. They are personal to me. I care about them. While we're doing our ministry in Vienna, there's 135 to 140 kids who are there. And they break them up into groups of 8 to 10. And then each of us as leaders are given a group of kids. By the end of the week, by the end of the week, I knew my group of 10, didn't I? I knew who they were. I knew that little Dima, who not only did he not know English, he, did, he was still learning his German because his native language was Russian. And we're trying to have ministry with little Dima. But I got to learn some things about little Dima. I learned that he loved two things which seem antithetical to me. One, he loved sweets. So when it came time to passing out the gummy bears, which were the Haribo brand, we would call them, he's going, Haribo, Haribo. And he's poking in my bag and wanting to grab as much Haribo as he can. He loves sweets, but contrary to that, I watched this same little guy, right, who loves sweets just about jump for cucumber slices that got passed around. And the, and the, the, the assistant to me had to tell him in the German, which he could understand, start with two, because there's other kids here who want cucumber slices. You know what? I loved candy as a kid. Cucumbers, not so much. I'm telling you, it didn't seem to add up to me. But he loved cucumbers too. But by the time we're done, I got to have a sense as to who he was. And out of that, you just begin to love these kids. That's how it is. So you know them. Jesus is saying, I know those who are mine, and I love them, and I care for them, and I am intim intimately acquainted with their personalities and their giftedness and who they are, and I give them eternal life. I just give that to them. And when I do, they will never perish. They are secure in the life I give them and he goes on to say, there are two layers of protection upon those who are mine. Number one, nobody's going to snatch them out of my hands. And number two, the Father is greater than me. Nobody's snatching them out of the Father's hands because he gave them to me. And they are safe and they are secure. And no one's taking them from me. They have eternal life. Those 
who are mine. What a magnificent promise. Romans chapter 5. Hear the words of redemption in Romans chapter 5. Magnificent passage. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Got to jump into the middle here, friends. Now, oh, excuse me. One more page. I got to come back. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, some of these words we've had before, as I say, they keep getting folded back in on these truths that are constantly being relayed in the Scriptures. But how's this for magnificent words of redemption? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of God's love. He didn't wait for us to come around and say, You know, God, I think I'll give you a chance in my life today. He didn't wait for us to clear up our act. He didn't wait till we got over our addictions and our rebellions and our desires to do our own way. He went to the cross while we were in the depths of our sin. And friends, the depths of our sin is pretty deep. And he went there anyways, that we might be saved protected from wrath. Because there does come a time when God is going to have to pour out His wrath on sin, and there is a culmination to all of this. But we are protected from that when we are in Jesus Christ because of what He has done. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. When we insisted upon our own rebellion, when we insisted upon our own way, God did a work whereby He might Set our accounts right between he and uh, himself and ourselves. How magnificent is that reality? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I want to pick it up there. Hear more words of redemption. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to pick it up in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely Give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear the words of redemption? God is for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? But God is for us. He is wonderfully inclined towards our betterment, towards our improvement. And in light of that, regardless of those who will be against us, because not everybody wants this message, not everybody wants this truth, and there will be those who would actually persecute uh, believers for maintaining this truth. He says we're more than conquerors. 
It's not just that we're going to kind of escape or, or defeat our enemies. There's so much more that is happening there. It's not just that he protects us from our enemies. It's all these other things we've talking about, a hope and an inheritance and internal life and all these other things. And he finishes with that as he gives this list of things, this, that, or the other thing, and he reaches this conclusion, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can alienate us from his love. We're just going to pass on the one passage in Ephesians and the two passages in Colossians. But I promise you that if we went into them, there'd be more of the same. It's just everywhere you go, it's folded into the scriptures, these words of redemption. Let me just highlight what would have been in Ephesians. Been blessed with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him. He predestined us to adoption as sons. He made us accepted in the beloved. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And Colossians goes on from there. For the sake of time, I'll stop there because I want to make another observation. You see, there are, as we have said, are many words identified with our redemption. Hopefully we've set that forth. Here's the second thing. These are all uplifting. Did you sense how positive Everything that is being said to us about God's redemptive work is? Did you sense how uplifting, how encouraging, how strengthening it is? How inspiring it is? That this is what God has for those who are his children. This is what God has for those who receive that magnificent work that Jesus Christ has done on their behalf. These words are all uplifting. And I'll wrap up with just three observations. One, God is well intended towards us. If God be for us, the question was, God is well intended for us. Now, I want us to at least take a minute to think about that. Because that may be hard for us to accept. And I can think of two things that would make that hard for us to accept. To truly understand and feel it in the depths of our being that God is well intended for us. Number one, it's how we were raised. If we've been raised in the context that God is the big guy in the sky who he wants to make sure you always get it right. And if you don't get it right, he's going to correct you right now. He's going to slap you down right now. you got to get it right. you got to always be right because God's standards are high and God's standards are perfect and you better get it right. And if you don't, he's going to get you. You've got to understand, friends, there have been children raised in that kind of an environment about who God is. How does that child as an adult begin to believe that God is well intended towards them if all that they see of God is that he's constantly correcting them? Correct you, correct you, correct you, correct you. Oh, step back, friends. He's building us. Yeah, he'll correct us. That's part of the building. But do we see first that he's building us into the image of Jesus Christ, which is something very positive and very good? That's why he's correcting us. But he's not correcting us just because he's got a high standard and we have to meet it. If we don't meet it, he's going to slap us down. I, I, I got a feeling there's been a lot, of, a lot of kids wounded, a lot of kids who don't, who don't want to consider the things of the church because that's how God was presented to them. 
How would they know God is for them? Secondly, we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians says very clearly, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. What was the first thing that Satan came to mankind when he went to Adam and Eve? What does he say? As God said, and he sets forth this argument, God doesn't have your best interests at heart. So we as fallen beings who are looking around in a fallen world are susceptible to this lie that says God really doesn't have your best interests in heart. How can you look at the world around you and see that God is caring for anybody? That's the great cosmic lie, uh, that, as I put it. And we bought into that at the beginning, and we've been buying into it ever since. And how many times in the course of this past week or this past month have I really questioned whether or not does God care about me? Is God in this? Is he meeting my needs? Is he present? Because the evil one is constantly calling us to not believe that. God does not have your best interests at heart, is what he will say. Let us remind ourselves, Jesus said, the evil one comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. But he doesn't want us to get into that place and that abundance of life. So he tells us God doesn't have our best interests in heart. So number one, among these uplifting words, God is well-intended towards us. Do we believe that? Do I move through this day, this week, ahead, this month, believing God is well intended towards me, and he has my best interests at heart. That's one thought. Secondly, we can be proud of our message. Josh asked a searching question of us uh, in his message that he shared. The searching question was, are we ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Are we embarrassed to declare who Christ is and what he has done? While visiting with Eric McCauley, um, again, the missionary who is ours in Vienna, while visiting with him, he was describing some situations among believers, sad situations as far as how believers were, were um, treating one another. And then he just said this, just made this observation. He said, you know, we really are a broken people. <laughs> absolutely. We absolutely, every last one of us, is broken. And man really needs the regenerating work of God. Man really needs what Jesus was saying when he said, you must be born again. You're in a broken state and you need something to come into your life to change that, to fix it, to regenerate it, to make it right. God is pleased to bring this if we're willing to respond to it. So mankind is broken. He needs this message that we have. God's willing to bring it. We get to have the privilege of bringing the message, the message of deliverance from the brokenness. You know, we're just starting to lay the groundwork for stuff that will be happening this fall as we're, we're going to come out of summer pretty soon and we're going to head back into our regular seasonal ministries to understand the confidence that we can have in the message that we bring? Do you understand whether it's something like Awana, how many kids are going to be hearing and having the message communicated to them that they can come out of the brokenness that is in their young lives? 
We're going to have other ministries that will deal with teens and others that will deal with college age and other deal that will deal with adults and women's ministries and men's ministry. But you understand at the core of all of that, the foundation to all of that, we have a message that says there's a God in heaven and he is ready to deliver you out of the brokenness that we all swirl around in every day. I think that's a message to be excited about. I think that's a message we don't have to be ashamed of. I think that's a message that we can with confidence say, guess what? I feel the brokenness you're feeling, but I also know that there's a solution to that, and God is at work. Man, that's exciting, friends. We do not need to be ashamed. We can be proud of the message we bring, and we can be engaged with our message. If you were here when Mike spoke a couple weeks ago, he asked the question about whether there's, a, there's really a dynamic reality to how we're living out our Christian lives. It's a legitimate question for us to for us to consider. What I would like to suggest is, first of all, as we've already mentioned right now, we can be excited about the content of this message we have, these words of redemption that it's our privilege to share. Content-wise, we go, great, here's an offer of deliverance from the brokenness that the world lives in every day, the brokenness we live in every day. Wonderful. I can be excited about the content, but also I can be engaged in my own context. Each one of us can. And that's the last thing that I spoke on before leaving. We took one day and just touched briefly on the question of giftedness. When God calls us to be engaged in kingdom work, when he calls us to be involved, if, if he touches us on the shoulder and he says this fall, he says, you know, there's a place of ministry I want you to have here. Understand, there's a context in which he's placing us because that context relates directly to our giftedness. He's given us a particular function within the body of Christ. And I have seen it happen time and time and time again. That when you get people who are on their journey, they come to a place, they begin to understand where their giftedness is, and then you let them operate in the context of their giftedness. They get excited about serving Jesus. Man, this is fun. This is good. Why? Because this is where God has placed me, what God's designed me for. And we have a variety of different things within the body of Christ that he has designed us for, and all of them need to be engaged in going. And this is where we will find the excitement about what Mike is talking about, about being engaged in our Christian life, is when we're functioning within our giftedness. And we know this is right where God would have me. You might say to yourself, hey, I don't know what that is. And I will say to you, great. Hop on the journey train and let's figure that out together. Because we'll give you plenty of opportunity to be able to move through ministries until you find a place you go, this is it. This is what really stirs me to be involved. And you will enjoy it. Oh, friends, do you hear these words of redemption? There's a lot of them, are there not? Many words identified with our redemption. They're all uplifting. They all speak to us something very good about what God wants to do. I trust we're believing that today. I trust we're believing it a little bit more. We're going to cling to that a little bit more. I trust we can be a little bit more encouraged about the message that we bring. And I trust that God is going to be at work in us, particularly as this fall unfolds to help each of us find a place where we're able to say, here's how God wants to use me. And I love being in this place. Let's pray. Father, your message is so uplifting, so encouraging, so positive, so loving, so gracious, so kind, so merciful. 
And sometimes I think, Lord, I, I have missed it for all the years I've been studying these scriptures that have missed the simplicity of your motivation towards us, that you truly are for our good. You desire our good. You are working on our behalf. You are shaping us into wholeness, into Christ-likeness. And I pray that not one of us would believe the lie of the evil one today that says somehow to walk with you will be a downer. To walk with you will, uh, will minimize our lives. Oh, Lord, help us grasp the reality that by walking with you, we are walking with the one who loves us most, who knows us best, and who desires what is good and right for our lives to bring us into wholeness. Help us to grasp that truth. And to never let it go, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.